Uh, welcome to week five of the Biblical Theology of Grief. If you did not get a handout and you would like one to take notes, you can grab one. They're still available. This morning, we're looking at guarding your heart and mind during grief. Let's begin with a word of prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together and God, to study your word together, to be able to apply it to our lives during seasons that are difficult. Father, we pray that you would help focus our attention. Lord, as our minds and our hearts run every direction, we ask that you would focus them upon you, your goodness, your grace, your mercy. Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to teach us and to help us to apply your truth in our lives, that in all that we do, and at all times, that we would bring you glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, this is week five, and the area we're addressing today is the heart and the mind. And as we go through seasons of grief, both the heart and the mind are under attack. And so if you have a handout, you'll see we're looking at three different areas this morning. One is spiritual warfare during grief. Just looking at what that looks like in a time of grief and what the enemy's tactics, what the schemes, the wiles of the devil would be like in times that we are grieving. And then we're going to specifically look at the attack or the targets of the attack, which are the heart and the mind. And then lastly, this morning, by God's grace, we will get to part three this week, which is implementing habits of grace. And so beginning with the first part, spiritual warfare during grief. Spiritually speaking, grief can be one of the most dangerous seasons for professing believers. We know that according to the first question and answer of the Westminster Catechism, that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Thus, the Christian life then is all about denying self and pursuing Christ. I want you to think about that. If we're to enjoy him and to glorify him, then he is the focal point. He is the one that we are pursuing. And it is a daily battle with the flesh to put it to death. Every day of our Christian life is a daily battle to put the flesh to death. And it's hard work, as many of you have figured out, to constantly say no to the flesh and to say yes to Christ. It is not right when you wake up in the morning, you say it one time, then the rest of the day goes perfect in obeying Christ and denying flesh. It is a moment by moment crying out to Christ, help, because the flesh continues to draw attention to itself. And so that constant cry to God for help is a good thing. It keeps us completely dependent upon him. And so we understand, we understand God's word. We understand his command to, to love him with all of our being. 
We understand Christ's call to deny self, to pick up our cross, to follow Christ daily. And on any given day, that's a challenge. But in the midst of grief, that challenge becomes exponentially more difficult. Because our heart is being torn. You know, grief, by its very nature, puts the focus back on self. Some of you have experienced that. If you go through seasons of grief and dark grief, by its very nature, the attention is all on us, of what we are going through. It focuses on upon the pain, the sorrow that is personally felt. And like the emotions of anger and jealousy, God also grieves, but without sinning. So I want you to keep that in mind, because similarly, in our emotion of grief, and just like in anger or in jealousy, grief can also cause us to sin, lead us to yield to the temptation to sin. And so we are created with emotions, but understanding that our emotions were corrupted, what we saw in the first week of this study, at the fall. That we don't have perfect emotions. They are corrupted by our sinful nature. I want to give you a quote from a great book. The book is called Grieving, Hope, and Solace When a Loved One Dies in Christ. Grieving, Hope, and Solace When a Loved One Dies in Christ by Albert Martin. He said this, he said, quote, our emotions were not created by God to have ultimate authority over us. We must use the power of the indwelling spirit to make an ongoing scripturally directed effort to reign in our emotions, end quote. In grief, our emotions go all over the place. Our thoughts run wild as well. Questions come to our mind that we never, ever considered before. And so Albert Martin says, we need to do all we can through the Spirit to rein in those emotions. Because if we do not rein in our emotions through the power of God's Spirit, our emotions, including our grief, will quickly take us on a downward spiral. A downward spiral where nothing good exists. A downward spiral where the focus is more and more concentrated upon our misery. A downward spiral that leads to feeling like God is farther and farther away. Nothing good comes from the downward spiral. Nothing good comes from focusing on self. And so we see in this introduction that grief automatically puts the focus on self. It's the pain, the sorrow that we're going through. And though grief is given in Scripture as there is a season for grief, there is a season to weep, and yet there's also wisdom in knowing that that season can turn into a season of sin. That if the focus continues to be me dwelling upon the downward spiral, 
that instead of a season that glorifies God and just weeping and being in sorrow over someone, that the focus then becomes completely wrapped up on me. And this is what we constantly battle. And so if you find yourself in going through this, you are not alone. We all go through this the same way. And so we look to the scriptures of what are we to do then? Because when I look at my emotions and I look at the sorrow and the pain, it definitely takes me down. And I can feel that spiral. And if you've been down that spiral before, you know nothing good dwells there. And you even know that in your mind as that feeling comes to start to dwell on your circumstances, you know, I don't want to go there. I know that there's nothing good there. And yet at that very moment, I have the option, do I turn to Christ or do I continue to dwell on self? Turning to Christ, there is hope and there is comfort and there is victory. But dwelling on self, here we go again down that downward spiral. And so understanding that spiritual warfare is real and the enemy is looking for opportunities. And so the opportunity comes when we're focused on self, oh, we're so ripe for attack. And so looking at your notes, the attack is on the heart and mind. Paul David Tripp in his book, Suffering, said this. He said, suffering is spiritual warfare. You must battle for your heart. Suffering always puts your heart under attack. And here's what happens in suffering. It is during those seasons of grief and sorrow that we can begin to feel sorry for ourselves. We can begin to question things that we would have never questioned before, or even question God with questions that we would have never questioned him before. But that focus on self causes us to come up with ideas like this. And don't raise your hand if you've thought this, but I'm guessing many of us have. I don't deserve this. Or I deserve better than this. And we start thinking this is not fair. Or we begin comparing our sorrow to someone else's sorrow and saying, why do I have to suffer when they don't have to suffer the same way? All these questions start rushing into our minds during these times of sorrow. The objective here is to get us to feel sorry for ourselves. Because where does that put the attention? Right back on us. And is right where the enemy of our soul would want us to dwell is upon ourselves and not upon our Savior. To the point, Martin Lloyd-Jones, I believe it was quoted in your handout. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, quote, As Christians, we should never feel sorry for ourselves. The moment we do so, we lose our energy, we lose the will to fight and the will to live, and are paralyzed, end quote. Some of you might attest to being in that place before, where the focus is entirely upon yourself, and as you're focusing on that, feeling sorry for yourself, it just seems like there is no way out. There is no hope. And that's because the enemy of our soul and his strategies is to get us to focus on self where there is no hope. 
The hope is in Christ. He is the one that needs to constantly be in our focus. But the enemy of our soul will do all he can to get us distracted and focused on self. This is why Peter would write this. And by the way, this is in context of suffering that Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12, Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. You say, well, how does that bleed into what we're talking about, this attack on the heart and the mind? Because what the enemy of our soul wants us to think is, woe is me. This is only me and it's nobody else. And Peter says, understand this, that suffering is experienced by all Christians. And though we might want to compare our suffering to somebody else's suffering, all of us will endure suffering. All of us will have sorrow. All of us in this lifetime will weep. will experience pain. Every single one of us. Nobody's got a ticket out of that. And so Peter writes, first of all, don't be surprised. Know that these things will come. But as they come, we need to understand that we need to be so careful to guard our heart and our mind. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Proverbs 4, 23 reads, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. It means pay attention to what is happening with your heart. Pay attention to the things that are coming out of your heart. Pay attention to what flows forward from your heart. Pay attention to what you put into your heart. It is to be so very careful with guarding our heart. And to that point, this morning, we're going to spend most of our time in Colossians chapter 3. So if you have a Bible this morning, I encourage you to open up to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, I'll read just the opening three verses of that chapter. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's so much packed in those three verses right there that they apply to every area of our life. I'm going to put them in the context this morning of how we're to respond also during grief. As we're to respond in times of deep sorrow. Paul writes in that opening verse, if then, which means since you have been raised with Christ. In that same book, or the same letter that he wrote to the believers there in Colossae, in the opening chapter, verse 13, he spoke of them being delivered, that they were delivered from the domain of darkness 
and they were transferred to the kingdom of light. He's given them an idea and a picture of the gospel, what the gospel has done in their lives. In the opening chapter, verse 14 of Colossians, he talks about they have been redeemed, they've been forgiven of sins. And then in verse 20 of that opening chapter, he says that peace has been made between them and God by the cross. And so what the Apostle Paul starts here with is he's talking about the gospels, what brings union with Christ, and that everything else flows from the gospel. Now, I want to pause real quick as I bring up this idea of the gospel. As we go through times of sorrow and seasons of grief, I am not speaking this morning of that immediate reaction when we find out something has happened tragically. That is a deep sorrow. That is a time of numbness, of trying to process and trying to get uh, uh, acclimated back to, oh, there's God, and I got to see God in all this. But immediately, it is overwhelming. I'm talking about down the road as that is behind you, yet there still comes this emotion of sorrow. A thought comes up. It could be a song on the radio. It could be a destination that you see. Or it could just be a random thought that pops in your head. And here comes all the grief once again. That's what I'm speaking of this morning. That ongoing grief. In that ongoing grief, the encouragement we see from Colossians chapter 3 is the gospel. That we must be so quick to preach the gospel to ourselves once again. To focus ourselves back upon Christ. Paul makes it so clear in this letter to the Colossians that every single person that is chosen by God is redeemed by Christ and given faith by the Spirit and, listen, are eternally saved. We've talked about it in previous weeks, but that idea of being in Christ and that he'll never leave you nor forsake you is comforting in the midst of our pain. But the gospel, church, the gospel is the primary means that will guard our heart and our mind. It is preaching the gospel to ourselves in the midst of grief. Being reminded of what Christ Jesus has done on the cross. Remember, if I don't fix my eyes upon Christ, there is a downward spiral that's taking me more and more focused on self. And so what do I do? Focus on the gospel. Bring it back to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are eternally secured in him. Paul continues to write and talks about being eternally minded in Colossians chapter 3. He tells us to seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated. This is verse 2 now. At the right hand of God, he says in verse 2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. How applicable is that as I'm going through sorrow and grief? Because that's where the downward spiral wants me to sit, is upon the things that are going on or the things that have gone on in my life. And so the correction now is to get up out of that and fix my attention on things that are worthy of my attention. Because that downward spiral will only take me deeper and deeper into self and deeper and deeper into sorrow. And so... Paul writes here, to seek means to, to look for, to, to strive, to find, to desire, to examine, to consider. 
Think of these things. He says, set your mind on things that are above where Christ is. Lift your eyes to heaven, to the right hand of God where there's honor and authority, where Christ is ruling and reigning. Now, I want to pause because these can all be lofty ideas. Like, well, that would be nice. I mean, that would be great to do that. These are things we're to actively pursue. They're not things that just happen by chance to go on. When we are grieving and we focus on self, we will spiral down. And so the command now is to focus on Christ, to seek him, to consider him, to put your eyes on him, because it does not come naturally to our flesh. This is what needs to happen at all times. Not only in grief, but at all times we're to seek what is above. But how much more in the midst of grief? How much more in those times where we are naturally prone to focus on self must we submit ourselves to Scripture? How much more must we fight against the emotion that would want to draw our attention to ourselves and say, I know nothing good dwells there. I know nothing good has come out of there. I must set my eyes upon Christ. Paul continues to write here in Colossians 3 about being eternally identified. In verse 3, he says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We have a whole different identity. Our identity is in our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet our emotion in seasons of grief want us to be isolated and stand in ourselves. That this is me. But scripture tells us to remember that, no, you are in Christ. You, you're positionally in him. And the apostle Paul would say, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He understood that identity. In Galatians 2.20, many of you are very familiar. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. He says, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you know what Paul does there in Galatians 2.20? He preaches the gospel to himself. He's preaching the gospel to himself, remembering of who he is in Christ. And this is so important for us to continually remember as we go through seasons of grief of who we are in Christ. It's in times of grief that we must be so diligent in reminding ourselves of our identity in Christ. It's so important to remember that we're not our own, that we share in the sufferings of Christ, and that Christ would be our focus. Paul goes on and says there's more here in verse, we look to verse 4. I didn't read it before, but if you look at verse 4 in Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, he says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We've spoken about this in previous weeks of, of clinging to the promises of God. And it's during the times of grief to guard our hearts and our minds, we must cling to the promises of God. That there is an eternity to live with 
Christ. And that this is the last opportunity that we are going to grieve. Now, I don't mean to minimize that and say, oh, then it's no big deal. It is a big deal. We still have to grieve. We still go through sorrow and pain. But if we're to look at the future grace of eternity where there is no sorrow and there is no pain, it gives us hope in the midst of that. That rather than going down that downward spiral, we know nothing good dwells, we can look and see that the promises of God are true. And we can long for those. We've quoted this in previous weeks, Romans 8.18. The Apostle Paul says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now again, as we go through the word of God together, it could be conceptual, like, yeah, I know those things are there, and I know those are true, but we must reach out and grab hold of them in the midst of our grief. We must reach out and cry out to God to help apply those things to our life, that instead of the focus continually being upon ourselves in that grief, that the focus would be changed, and our focus of our eye would be Christ himself. And so, how do we get there? How do we put what we know up here, this knowledge of having to guard our hearts and minds, how do we put that in application? And so thirdly, this morning, we're looking at implementing habits of grace. What we must acknowledge and understand is one of the schemes of the enemy is to isolate us. To isolate us, first and foremost, from God. To get us by ourselves because when we are by ourselves, we are much easier to attack. And so that is a scheme of the enemy. He desires that we would feel all alone. And his goal is that in that loneliness, our focus would be entirely upon ourselves. And then it would be compounding, like, here I am, woe is me, and God's abandoned me. His people have abandoned me. Everyone's abandoned me. And then we begin to be in this state of where I am completely isolated. Church, I will tell you, that is exactly where the enemy wants you. And how often do we fall prey to that? I don't feel like going to church. I'm kind of my heart is heavy. My mind is all over the place. I don't feel like going. I don't want to be around people right now. I want to wrestle with my own emotions, my own thoughts. It's exactly where the enemy wants you. Again, the context here of 1 Peter chapter 5 is in the context of suffering. It's a verse we have spoken of earlier in earlier weeks, but listen to it again. 1 Peter chapter 5, reading from verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. This is the reality. We are in a spiritual war. And yet, he uses the tool of our own grief, our own sorrow, for his advances. That that's an opportunity for us to get our eyes fixed upon ourselves, to isolate ourselves. So Peter continues to write in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9. He says, resist him, being firm in your faith, knowing that the same, listen, the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Did you hear that? So the devil is roaming around seeking who he may devour during what kind of times? 
times of suffering. I know we quote that all the time to talk about the enemies looking for times to, to pounce on us, but in context, it's while we're suffering. Because of our nature of what we do during suffering is we isolate ourselves. We're no longer around others. We're no longer seeking the Lord. We're just looking at ourselves and dwelling upon our circumstances. And the enemy of our soul is looking for the opportunity to pounce all over us. Peter gives some encouraging words right after that in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. He says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So here's what happens. In the midst of our suffering, there is an enemy of our soul looking for us to do what our fallen nature wants to do is isolate ourselves and dwell upon our circumstances. And it's during those times that we can come to conclude that the Bible is no longer speaking to us. That I don't hear anything. I read it and it's just words on a page. And it's that somehow God is no longer listening either. He doesn't hear my prayers. He allows me to continue in this pain. And then we think, you know what, even other believers they're no longer comforting to be around either. And so in every area, we just isolate ourselves from the word of God, from prayer, and from fellowship. It's exactly where the enemy of our soul desires for us to be. Because when the focus is not on God, we are not guarding our mind, we're not guarding our heart, and the temptation to yield to sin is so much greater because we're not seeking the source of power and strength. Samuel Rutherford said this, I assure you by the Lord, your adversary shall get no advantage against you except you sin and offend your Lord in your sufferings. That's the goal. The goal of the enemy is to get us to focus on self and to yield to the temptation to sin, to begin to live as an enemy of Christ. And why? Because our focus is entirely upon ourselves. And so what must we do? The habits of grace. I love Psalm 37, verse 4. Some of you are very familiar with Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, real quick, a little sidebar. This does not mean, oh, I love you, Lord, so now I get my Ferrari. Okay? It means your delight, your joy, everything that you want is in the Lord. And guess what? He's going to give you that. He's going to give you himself that you can enjoy and enjoy forever. It does not mean somehow I come to him in some type of devotion so I can get these other things and I have some other motives to go after it's that I might have him. And so I delight myself in him that he would give me the desires of my heart. There's a book called Habits of Grace by David Mathis. And in that book, which I'd recommend to you if you have opportunity to get a hold of it, David chunks up three different areas of the habits of grace. One, he says, is his voice, meaning the word of God, God's voice. Another one, he says, is his ear, God's ear, meaning prayer. And the last one is his body, God's body being fellowship. 
And so these are the three different areas that we need to so be intentional to pursue in times of grief because they're the same areas that we fall away from naturally. That we stop going to the word of God, we stop going to prayer, and we stop being in fellowship. And so speaking of God's voice, the word, we know the only way that we are going to be renewed in mind is through the word of God. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. We know as we just concluded studying through the book of Ephesians, that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, we are commanded there to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. That comes through the word of God. If we're not pursuing the word of God, what is left at the center is us. And the result of that, again, is that downward spiral. And so it's the word of God that is going to transform, renew my mind that this is not all about me. You know, in, the, in the midst of our deep sorrow, it can feel like everything is revolving around us and our sorrow at that very moment. And so it's through pursuing God's word that we were reminded that he is at the center of all things, that he is the one who is sovereign over all things, and that he is the one that is to be glorified at all times. But we also have his ear. We have access to prayer. And again, remember, in our fallen emotions, we end up isolating ourselves, isolating from his word, isolating ourselves from prayer, and isolating from fellowship. But remember prayer, we've spoken about it recently on a Sunday morning, to ask God to do what we cannot do for ourselves. Think about that. Think about it in your grief. Think about it in the moments you say, I just can't go on. I just can't handle this any longer. I just can't feel this any more. Prayer is seeking God to help, to do what we cannot do. Lord, help me to endure. Lord, help me to fix my eyes upon you and not upon my circumstances and these things in my life. Prayer is admitting our own weaknesses, our inabilities. It's appealing to God and his power and strength. Pop question. When does God avail his ear to you? Is it only first thing in the morning? Is it only right before you have a meal? It's at all times. To go to him in prayer. We read recently, as we were getting towards the end of Ephesians chapter 6, that we're to pray at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, we're to keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And Paul also throws in there, and pray also for him that the words may be given to him and opening his mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. There are always things we can pray for. And the Bible is so beautiful in telling us that even the times that we can't express what to pray for, that the Spirit himself would be interceding for us. And the times where we are in deep, deep grief, if we would just turn to him and fix our attention upon him, that even in those times that we're like, I don't even know what to say. 
nor can I even formulate words together. I can't put a sentence together right now that the Spirit is interceding for us. The idea is to always to run to Him. You know, God is not impressed by our eloquence in prayer. We don't have to speak Old English. We can go to him in the midst of the pain and sorrow and run to him for help. And we see that throughout the Psalms. As the Psalms will run and say, God, help. God, help. So we're to stay in God's word, even if you open up the word and you feel like there's nothing speaking to you, keep reading. It is God's voice. Keep reading. Keep staying in there. Pray. Even if you feel, God, are you listening? Are you hearing? God, I still feel this way. Keep praying. Keep seeking him. But lastly, an area I think we so often also begin to avoid in our sorrow is fellowship. It's God's people. I want to define fellowship because we have redefined it in the church, not necessarily our church, but the church has redefined fellowship. We think that fellowship is just when Christians get together for any purpose. That is not necessarily fellowship. For example, you Padres fans, some of you recently got together to watch a Padres game. By the way, in and of itself, that's not sinful. You're okay. However, some of us refer to that as a time of fellowship. The word fellowship is a time that we get intentionally together to encourage each other in Christ. Christ is the focus of that time of fellowship. For example, a Sunday morning Sunday school class. This is a time of fellowship. It's for us to come and encourage each other in Christ. A Sunday morning worship service, a time for us to come together and encourage each other in Christ. Obviously, the overarching part of that is to glorify God. But it's a time for us to come together and to be encouraged. Wednesday night home fellowships. It is intentional to focus your attention upon Christ. Bible studies. We can go on and on down the list. But those are often what I just mentioned. Usually the place we say, you know what? In, when I'm not feeling like my emotions are a little sideways, I don't feel like going to those. I don't want to be involved with that. I really need to sit and just try to straighten out my thoughts. It is those times of fellowship where our minds are put back upon the Lord. It is in those times where we go in corporate prayer where we don't, you can't even pray, but we sit there and we hear the saints praying and we are strengthened in the Lord. And our minds are put back on the Lord because we're hearing saints pray. If you're here this morning and you're afraid of corporate prayer because you're like, I don't like to speak audibly, I, I, I don't want people to hear what I'm saying, come and join corporate prayer. Come alongside and be in agreement with those prayers unto the Lord and be strengthened and encouraged as you hear your brothers and sisters around you praying. When we speak of fellowship, we have some warnings in Scripture that we're to maintain and stay in fellowship regards to what season of life we're going through. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We are commanded to gather together. 
Why? For fellowship, that we would stir up love and good works with one another, that we would encourage each other in the faith. But when we are in times of grief, the attack that comes upon us is to listen to our flesh and to isolate ourselves, to withdraw from fellowship. And remember, the whole goal of the enemy in doing that is to try to pick us off, to cause us to yield to the temptation of sin. And so previously in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, we read this. Take care, lest there be any of you, any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So part of us getting together is to encourage each other in holiness, to encourage one another to continue in righteousness. That even in the midst of our grief, we're to come together so we would help each other put our eyes back upon Christ. That's the chief end. And so in times of grief, we must be active to pursue fellowship. Though our flesh wants nothing to do with it, we're to seek fellowship. Remember, the enemy wants to isolate us. He wants to do that. We have to go against our emotions, and we're to pursue being around other believers. So joyfully, we're here together this morning to encourage each other in Christ. Some of you may have woke up this morning going, I don't want to go today. I don't feel like being there today. I don't want to hear it again. And yet, by the grace of God, you are here today so you could be encouraged in the word of God. And so we are reminded to be so diligent, to guard our hearts and our minds by setting our eyes upon Christ, by preaching the gospel to ourselves in the midst of grief, and to fight with all we have to pursue Christ, that we don't just wallow in ourselves, that we don't leave the attention upon self, and that we continue to go down that spiral. If you've ever been down that spiral, you know that there's nothing good at the bottom of it. And so we begin to be quicker and going, no, I know there's nothing good there. God help me. God help me with this thought. God help me with, with this emotion. God help me. And the quicker we go to God and say, God help me, the quicker we stop that spiral and the quicker we bring him glory. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much. We thank you collectively that, God, in this life, you do not leave us to our own ways, that you do not leave us to try to figure things out on our, by ourselves. But you give us your word. You give us yourself in prayer that we can come to you, and you give us your people that we can fellowship with. And God, we know that our emotions naturally take us sideways. They, they want us to isolate ourselves and we know now from your word, that's exactly where the enemy of our soul desires for us to be. And yet we must still fight through those emotions. God, we pray for your grace to empower us, to constantly seek you, to constantly preach the gospel to ourselves, to remind it of our position in Christ. God, that we would look to the future grace that there is hope that we will not stay in this position forever of, of sorrow and grief, but there will come a day where you will wipe away every tear. There will be no more pain and sorrow. Father, I pray for each of us this morning who 
are going through seasons of grief or maybe coming out of one or entering into one or continually to be in one, God, you would help us through your spirit to implement the habits of grace, that we would continue to pursue you in your word, that we would continue to pursue you in prayer, and we would continue to pursue you through fellowship with your people. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.